Hello and welcome to The Agenda on Monday the 21st of November 2022 on a chilly but bright Glasgow morning. I am your host Christopher Gallagher and I'm joined by Kieran Devlin. Hello Kieran. Hello Chris, how are we doing? Not too bad. I said before we started recording that your beard is looking sharp and I'm just going to say that on air because you're looking tip top sir. Well, thank you. Your your beard's looking good as well. well it's, it's, it's a nice, uh, nice stubble sort of thing you've got at the moment. Yeah, well, it's very graceful. I like it. Thank you very much. I went to the the barbers, the Turkish barbers, and they 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 sheared me down. Ugh. Regret that instantly. Uh, we're also joined uh, this week uh, a late sub for our good friend Alan Edgar. It's Colin Kearney. Hello, Colin. Hello, nice to be back. How's it going? Lovely stuff. Uh, your debut last week. Uh, you've clearly left. Uh, 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 kind of um, what's the word I'm looking for I made an impression you made an impression so you're back I've, I've scared I've scared Alan away obviously <laughs> he's, he's terrified yes. by my huge insight yeah, huge insight <laughs> huge insight yeah off the bad start as you say <laughs> off the bad start uh, but no uh, we've got lots to talk about um, this uh, this episode uh, we're going to cover what's happened just in regards to Celtic over the weekend uh, look at the World Cup as well we've got some news um, and also uh, we've got a nice fun feature to kind of uh, end with looking at Celtic a uh, Celtic five aside team uh, got lots of kind of sub- uh, submissions for that so that'll be good fun to talk about firstly just want to get uh, a wee check in with everybody Kieran how are you how's your week been how's your weekend it was good yeah it was, it was really nice uh, work is going yeah, it's going nicely. They're in their job, starting to settle into just more of the day-to-day stuff now. The training's all done, and uh, I was in Man- Manchester. Manchester, Jesus, I still can't say what. Um, I was in Manchester over the weekend for the the warehouse project. So I was with some from some friends from Somerset in London. So it was a yeah, really really good time and a lovely city. Manchester it was really nice. Yeah, people haven't been. I imagine most people have been to Manchester. It is. Well, <laughs> A pretty big city in the UK, but if you're not, I really recommend it. And uh, the Burroughs Project, if you're into your dance music, it's a very, very good time if you've not been. So, yeah, I had a great time. What sort of dance music is it like? Um, tri- is it trip-hop? Is that a thing? Is that is that dance music? <laughs> I don't know. I guess technically, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was in the 90s. <laughs> and no, DJ Shadow was not there, sadly. Um it was, it was, it was a bit of everything. It was Fortet. Do you know Fortet? I know Fortet, yeah. I do know Fortet. <laughs> A couple of uh, big, fairly biggish guys. It's more like it was a mixture of like um, house and UK garage. Um, some what is it? A bit of everything. Some techno, some drum and bass. It was, yeah, it was it was really good. I had a good time. Great stuff. Not good to um, indulge in your uh, kind of uh, musical tastes and stuff. Uh, I love nothing more than uh, going to. Oh my god, I sound like a horrible old man. I love nothing more than going to a gig and seeing uh, music I like. Um, Colin, you're a musician yourself. Uh, when when's your next gig? Actually, from the fantastic Jutland songs, anything lined up? N- nothing booked. Uh, we 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 got offered a, a couple of shows, um, but it's kind of like herding cats when you play in a band uh, in, adva- in advanced years. Um, but we've got an EP coming out hopefully early in the new year, uh, which is just getting mastered this week, which is quite exciting. Uh, I, I I actually saw DJ Shadow at. In the Merchant City, uh, DJ in the Merchant City many years ago. Uh, 
um, what was that bar called? It was like near Cafe Gandolfi, and I think it was called like Toast at some point, maybe or something. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. it was, it was, it was like a free gig, like, and it was uh, catered for by it was like a Budweiser promotional thing. DJ Shadow was DJing there, and you just got free Bud all night. It was. <laughs> It was pretty cool. <laughs> so hey, there you go. Yeah, uh, any alcohol I would drink for free, but um, Budweiser uh, is. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> low. It's low on the list. It's low on the list, but um, you know, as macros go, because I, I I'll say one thing for Budweiser, the um, as a company, they really support um, the guitar, the guitar state. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> um now this is this this is like to do with like sort of uh, american hot producers and things like budweiser were like really good at sort of uh going along and giving their expertise and support and sort of smaller businesses and stuff which i kind of learned when i used to work for a beer company and uh were kind of like they, they had some good things like to high tide raising all boats kind of methods so there you go that's there you a go. positive thing about Budweiser. I mean, it tastes like piss water, but other than that, they seem like nice, <laughs> nice uh, company guys. Uh, Colin, and if it's cold enough, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, how's your weekend been? Anything exciting? Oh, it's been nice. Um, just stayed home most of the time. Watched some movies. Watched Bill and Ted face the music finally, uh, which was uh, it's a weird movie, but uh, it's, um, it's good though, right? It's like a good, good yeah. Bill and Ted film, yeah. Um, and yesterday, uh, I'm I'm recovering from yesterday's uh, five aside shenanigans. Five aside shenanigans, um, love it. Uh, so I've pulled, uh, I hyperextended my calf the, in my last movement of the game. So it's uh, recovering from that. But it was good. It was good fun. Great stuff, man. Uh, Kieran, did you like Bill and Ted face the music? I did actually. I think it was. It, I think maybe. I think. Uh, you know, it got like a mixed response when it came out. Was it two years ago or last year? I can't remember. Two, it was about two years ago, I, yeah. I think like, it's just like, it's very vapid fun. But like, I think people have put the first two films on a pedestal, whereas that little like these comedy classics. When you have to watch them back again, they are they are also like very three-star, just enjoyable fluff, which the third one is. I think, yeah, they're just, I think they're like a perfect Sunday afternoon film. Like the Bill and Ted's, like you just stick it on. If you're you're a little bit hungover, you can't be asked to do any housework. I think that's the, the sort of range I put them in. Yeah, I, I thought it was good fun. It's not something I'm like going to revisit like desperately anytime soon, but it's enjoyable, huh? Uh, I went to see Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey in the cinema. Wow, what a wild ride that was. Anyway, uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's open up um, because we've got some questions based on this. Um, it's happened, unfortunately. Uh, we were expecting a little bit more fun over the next couple of months, but Giovanni Van Bronckhurst has been sacked um, as Rangers manager. Um, it happened this morning. Uh, okay, I mean, I know we joke and stuff, and we certainly will moving forward, but from a purely genuine football perspective, Celtic are currently nine points clear. They have sacked them a lot earlier than I thought they would have. Because um, it's only been a year in charge. How do you think this is going to affect Celtic in any way, Kieran? We can talk about who, who potentially they could bring in and stuff, because it will affect us. We don't often talk about Rangers and we don't particularly enjoy it, but it is pretty relevant just now. What's your thoughts on the sacking, Kieran? Uh, well, it's, well, it's quite funny, obviously. I think that's the first thing to, <laughs> the first to do. It. it is very, very funny because they did back him a lot in the summer. They brought in 
Well, I guess I was going to say what his type of players. I've still have no idea what his type of players are. I've no idea what his play style was. You know, he lacked any identity whatsoever. But you know, they did spend a fair amount of money in the summer. They did do something of a rebuild. Barely any of them have panned out so far, apart from maybe Cholak. Um, you know, Lawrence looked decent before his injury, but a lot of new players, very few, have made an impact. Yeah, but it just it just it's just quite funny how quickly it fell apart this season. <laughs> Given you know they got to a European final, it was all the big. Th- they ended the season relatively strongly um, in the league. It just, and but you more think about it. Like, Aribo and Bassi was such were so important to that team. They were easily their two best players. Yeah, as you know, seen by how the well they're doing after moving on, and they've just not replaced quality. And without those players, who like dragged them along. Tavernier's in decline. Kent's in decline. It just, yeah, they just look like, well, eh, they're just in a bit of a mess. And, and people have drawn the parallel as where it was like, you know, his success. Last season is quite similar to Lennon's first season back um, when we got the, um, well, they finished the treble treble and then the quadruple treble. It was, it did feel like a bit, you know, a continuation of that um, that success from Rogers, the hangover, yeah. like similar with Gerard. And then uh, this season so far has, has been, well, you know, the equivalent of the 10 season. <laughs> um, except, you know, well, well, we're not going to speculate about if we actually had fans at games and how quickly Lennon could have been sacked then and whether that would make a difference. But I guess, like for them, it is fortuitous that this could cut the World Cup comes now, where they do have the new guy has a few weeks to coach the players that are there, introduce his style, etc. Um, but yeah, I'm quite curious about where they go from here. They like have they do, you know, people have. I think Graham's talked about whether they go for Kevin Muscat. Which would be, I think, would be quite funny yes. because it'd be like, you know, <laughs> it'd be just be like um, to try and get back at, at an ex. You just like, go for one of their, their mates or something. <laughs> <laughs> like this is like right, you've gone, you've gone fishing in this pool, so we're going to do it as well just to get some kind of reaction out of you. <laughs> it's yeah. Just go quite desperate if they go for him. <laughs> that one Aussie guy who manages in Japan. He's got a he's got to work out this, yeah, <laughs> the I, same way. Yeah, and um, the, the other thing is like he's literally done to that Yokohama team what Van Bronckhurst like coming in on the crest of a wave of the last manager. So bring it on, uh, Colin. What's your kind of thoughts on it? Um, I think the group of players they have, I think it's kind of it's almost immaterial who comes in. I don't know how you can gel that bunch together. Um, they just seem so disjointed as a team. Uh, the age pro- the age sort of profile is uh, pretty... I mean, the average age is one of the highest in the league, I think. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I'm actually surprised that the, uh, as you say, like the fact that they've, they've um, canned them so early and it does give them a chance to recruit and rebuild... It's a bit annoying. It'd been funnier if they were just like a bit more um, at sixes and sevens in January. But um, I think the main thing is I don't really fear what's coming in uh, too much. Uh, I think it's uh, a, a, a sort of stronger side uh, from Rangers makes it all the better when we pace them next year. Yeah, I, I think, you know, ultimately it always comes down to if we do our business, you know, just focus on us. 
um, because, you know, this Rangers team, I mean, we're nine points clear, but as you say, Colin, I think it's a, they're a ragtag bunch. There's not, it's not like, I, I don't look at that Rangers side and I think, okay, here's a couple of players they could build a team around. I just look at them and think, oh, this is just square boxes and round pegs. I don't know. I can never do that phrase. I can never, <laughs> ever do that phrase. Uh, i got a couple of questions. Um, one from Chris Riley. Uh, now that Giovanni Van Bronckhorst is gone, who do the cynic not want to be the next manager? Is there anyone that you would fear like they, they, they would get smart enough, Kieran, to, to kind of bring in? Um, I guess the, the glip, Bodo Glimp manager. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, someone, someone of that profile, or the guy who's been really decent with Slavia Prague, like some, like a, a project manager who plays good football and has got good results in Europe and is dominated domestically. I think that's what I'm a little concerned about if they go for that profile of manager. Um, I mean, we're all hoping either a staunch appointment or one of the guys from the British merry-go-round. Um, <laughs> that would be funny. That'd be really good. Like I... if they went for Chris Wild- Chris Wilder um, after his disaster at Middlesbrough. I wouldn't be that worried about it because he was such a disaster at Middlesbrough. Um, I know people would say that he's done well with Sheffield United, but I'm always wary of a manager that he only has success at one club. Yeah. Um, I I think it would be one of those, as as you know, the slightly hipstery managers who have done really, really well in a a domestic league that in quality-wise is quite comparable to Scotland. And they've done good Europe, uh, good Europe results in Europe, and playing good football. I think something like that I'd be quite worried about. Um, but yeah, hopefully it is just some Egypt from who got sacked by Huddersfield or something. That's what we really want. I honestly, see when you said there, um, as someone who was staunch or someone from the British merry-go-round, I honestly thought you you were going to say someone who was staunch or someone from the British Army. <laughs> Like I just thought they'll just go and get some corporal from the British Army and just put him in charge. Um, That's what this team needs, they need discipline. <laughs> they, yeah. need, they need a no nonsense manager. Yeah, get, need get... a manager from the Magic Roundabout. Well, that was uh, that was the so other one. Who would be the most staunch member of the Magic Roundabout? Um, what's the one? Log- Dougal. Dougal. Aye, Dougal. Aye, he's he sounds very staunch. Uh, <laughs> final question on uh, uh, kind of this. A point. Uh, Paul Gibson asks, um, and this is for you, Colin. Given that we tiny has left the building, do the panel think that if they appoint a progressive manager, do they have a setup that could see someone rivaling us with the squad they have this season and still three derbies and two visits to the scum hut to go? <laughs> um, obviously, we've got to go to you know we've we've got to go to Ibrox. Um, there's three derbies left. Um, do you think there could be a kind of new manager bounce, Colin? There could be. Uh, never rule it out. Um, but as I say, I think the kind of to get the cohesion in the squad. I mean, we've, they've still got a lot of injuries to come back. I mean, I don't know how long term a lot of those are. Um, but like, say they'll have a lot less injury problems uh, when we're going back to uh, regular play and you have a new manager, you could potentially get a bounce, but I don't think, I think the, the such a shambles, um, it would be such a ridiculous rapid turnaround uh, to do anything this season. Um, so I don't have massive fears about that, to be honest. And if they bring back Steven Gerrard, uh, he's like, he's like this sort of, he's, the odds on him are ridiculous. Um, 
and that, that so I'm just hoping for that because that's hilarious, especially as the, all the voodoo uh, that was done on him when he when he left. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the punching of the cardboard cutouts, absolutely <laughs> terrific. Uh, just final point from uh, from Andy. Uh, with Geo gone, what's your favourite Geo memory? He was only there a year, but he gave us a lifetime of memories. Giving out about the ball boys when we were pumping them 3-0 is up there for me. Great stuff, Andy. Uh, right, let's kind of uh, focus on Celtic, focus on ourselves. Um, opening question is a good one. It's from uh, Googs. Let me get the question up. Kyogo has never uh, been exactly clinical do you think we have focused more on that side of his game this season in response to Gigi's clinical nature in the second half of last season? Um, it's quite a good question. Um, obviously, Koyogo was, was was injured last season towards the end of it. Um, Giacomacus came in and was very, very clinical. Uh, Colin, what's your kind of thoughts on that? Are we kind of focusing too much on Kyogo's finishing and his, uh, how clinical he is as a result of Gigi or is it just maybe a bit of both? I think the clinical the clinical question we've had is is really just been put in focus from the Champions League uh, and the amount of chances we were creating without scoring. Um, I think we're all kind of we we tend to be a bit um, short short of memory sometimes, and I don't know how much the kind of like Gigi's kind of uh, surge towards the second half of last season really factors into it. Um, and also, I just it. it it's it's thinking of Yakimakis as clinical still kind of doesn't really sound right to me because um yeah, I think he's the same as Kyogo. He 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 gets on the end of chances and he squanders as many as he puts away. Yeah. Um and I think as well uh, I, th- I th- so I think it's it's more like we're worried about the fact that we're not scoring when we're creating a lot of chances, but you have to create the chances to score. And I think we just saw it in the friendlies as well. There was like a lot of chance creation and not scoring. And I think that will kind of, it will keep the sort of lack of um, exactitude in front of goal, uh, front and centre. Um, but I mean, Kyogo was still uh, top, you know, statistically top top of our goals per 90 this season. And uh, Gigi isn't even second in that. It's a badder. So um, I think, I think, yeah, I, I think we're kind of, obsessing over it just because of how wasteful we were uh, in the Champions League. Excellent points. Uh, Kieran, that's a good point from Colin in regards to just obsessing over something because we always need to obsess over something as a support. And I think that's maybe standard for most football kind of supports. But this is something that keeps coming up. Yeah, I, I do think I agree with Colin. I do think it's just the Champions League because I just I just checked there on Opta and Kyogo's Outperforming his expected goals by quite a bit, I think it's by two or so. Yeah, and so is so is Gigi, but just just narrowly. So technically, Kyogo's been more clinical than Gigi this 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 season, but that's domestically, and that's I guess that's the problem. People would argue. Um, I think I agree with Colin. I think they both waste a fair amount of chances. Um, I, I, again, I also think it comes down to what we mentioned before about preference of style. Um, because Gigi, people, some people do like a big, um, like a big, strong, tall guy who who can nod the ball in and caught, ruffle up defenders, and some people prefer the guys who make this the clever movement and everything in, in Kyogo and who can do the other stuff as well. Um, 
But I think if you're looking at, I do think has people's own preferences have coloured it this season, both in favour of Kyogo and in favour of Gigi. I think it is just one of those things where just like people have settled in, they've got their preference for striker. But if you actually look at the data, the stats, there's very little between them. Um, I think Kyogo gives you more as an all rounder. I think he's the better footballer. I think I think people have you know I I don't think anyone's going to change their mind at this point. It's fairly set in stone. I think it's interesting that it's been reported the club are looking to bring in another striker in January, um, and I do wonder whether that's because we want them as competition for Kyogo and um, and Gigi because there had been you know injuries do happen and you do want more than two strikers. There's no real future for a Yeti. I think it's quite clear Maeda's seen as entirely as a winger now. Abada is seen as a winger. Um, I do, you know, if we are going to commit those guys there, it would be good to have a third striker, but it could also be both Gigi and Kyogo weren't good enough in the Champions League. You know, Kyogo was a massive disappointment. Gigi's technical limitations were exposed. Um, it's, it's. I do wonder whether, you know, we've talked about a right back being brought in for Juranovic. If we are going to talk about how we're going to reach the next level in the Champions League, it's quite a, it's a tough conversation because I personally love Kyogo, but he hasn't performed in big games, whether that's in Europe or against Rangers. He's just not quite been there. I mean, in the Europa League, he was really good in the Europa League group stages, but this season and last season in Rangers games, it's just not worked out for him. And that is alarming because you do need your strikers to perform in big games. Eddie did it. Dembele did it, but Kyogo just isn't. Um, so I do, and I do wonder whether that might factor into if we, you know, if one of Kyogo or Gigi are sold, probably not January, but in the summer, um, then you'd you'd want to upgrade that position with a guy who can come in and get you two, three, four goals in the Champions League group stages because that's the, the that's the, the step up in quality that you need. And I think we've talked about it. We need it at centre back. We need it at number eight, and potentially. We definitely need a keeper as well, but we, you know, we're talking about the spine of the team. We need to upgrade to get to the level where you are taking your chances and not making silly mistakes and making big saves. I think that's where really we need to step up. So I think it'll be, it'll be fascinating the next two transfer windows whether we do bring in what we hope to be a Champions League quality striker. Uh, Colin, uh, what Keenan said there about Celtic looking for a new striker. What profile do you think it will kind of look to be? Will it be like Kyogo, will it be like Giacomakis, or will it be neither? Will it be a hybrid? What's your kind of thoughts and what's your, your hopes? Um, well, buying strikers is notoriously difficult. So I think that this is the thing that concerns me is that we've not traditionally, uh, I mean, we've got our success stories, but we've got a lot of failures in that position. Yeah. Um, I think for if you were doing the... Um, what qualities you want to see, you know, like I think, <clears throat> pardon me, we're looking at somebody who um, like, like a Mitrovic type sort of uh, character who will be able to contribute to the game, but will like when, when they've got that chance on goal, um, you've got a high degree of confidence that is going in. Uh, I know he'll, he'll, you know, obviously not, him himself but like a player like that like somebody that's not going to get you know there's, there's players in this sort of premiership who uh, are not going to get a lot of chances because of the uh, the quality of the opposition 
but when they do get that chance, they take it. And that is the profile we should be going for. Like, and yeah. if we could get somebody, because we create a lot of chances. And if you get somebody that you've got a high, I mean, this sounds, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but it's just like somebody that you've got a confidence in. And with uh, Yakimakis, I feel that you, you're you kind of like, you're not even confident you're going to get a shot on target half the time. And uh, and Kyogo, I think you're pretty confident he'll put it in target, but it will be too much in the comfort zone of the keeper. So we need somebody that's like got a, a better idea of the kind of outer fringes of the goal. Um, and yeah, so you, you, you feel like, and also somebody can take penalties. <laughs> Fucking penalties, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, certainly. <laughs> um, but great stuff. Uh, I think, uh, you know, we'll be doing... The transfer committee will be uh, coming together in December uh, to look at where we should be going from here in regards to player profiles and such. So uh, look out for that. Um, let's just uh, let you know what we've got coming up for you this week. The Cynic Agenda for the week. Uh, you're currently listening to The Agenda, which uh, records every Monday from 11am and usually goes up at 1pm. Tomorrow, we've got... The review as well, Christian and Graham, and I believe they'll be looking at some of the uh, other teams in the league, uh, just doing a review of that, and they've got other stuff that they're going to talk about. Wednesday, we've got the Celtic Women's Football Show. Claire and Lorenzo will be talking about all things Celtic uh, FC Women. Uh, that should be great as well. Thursday, we've got the return of the midweek bounce. It's uh, one off. It's uh, one only. It's myself, Bowd, and uh, Brian McManus. Um, look out for that. It should be a lot of fun. Friday, we've got the weekend update, of course, which has returned and replaced the lunch club for this uh, this small point period. Um, Saturday, we've got Beyond the Scoreboard. Myself, Alan, and Christian will be looking over some tactical and technical statistical points, um, uh, our weekly get-together. And Sunday, we've got the Faithful, Faithful Through and Through podcast. That was supposed to go up on Sunday there, but um, I've just uh, taken it back and it will go up next Sunday. Um, doing a few other bits for it so that should be dropping on Sunday um, great stuff I want to bring up the Graham Soonis VAR patter because I just think it would be remiss of me not to call this out because it's absolutely outrageous Graham Soonis claims Celtic's VAR luck is why Rangers are trailing the title race the former Ibrox boss believes the league table would be closer had the had the hoops not benefited from some VAR calls? Here's the quote. They, Rangers, have lost the games against Celtic, which puts them, Celtic, in a very good position. Good work there, Graham. Uh, but they, Celtic, have got away with a couple of very interesting VAR decisions. It could have been a very different story have if they had gone against them. Then he goes on to say about how VAR's terrible and that there should be ex-players involved in the VAR process. Jesus. Who, what players would you say um, should be involved, Graham? Well, obviously Richard Goff, uh, former uh, captain, should be involved at all levels. Um, I mean, is this... Does he have a point, or is this just him playing to the gallery, Kieran? Because this guy doesn't watch Scottish football, does he? No. No. No, he's, he's, he's read some stuff in the papers on Follow Follow or something, and just going... <laughs> That is reality, and <laughs> that is what I'm going to double down on. But I think if you're th- thinking about it, like I think maybe the only decision that you could say went Celtic's way, and the fact was it five league games we had VAR. Yeah, the only decision in those five games, which which could have been about fifty fifty, was the um, for the penalty Jack and Marcus missed. Was it Livingston? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where, where you know it was a handball. 
you could argue it was a an, an, uh, natural position. It was very close. We got the penalty from that. That is the only decision of about 9, 10, 11, 12 that have gone against us. <laughs> like quite some of them a lot more controversial than the one that went in our favour. Um, you know, but as I say, like this is the guy clueless. He has no idea what he's talking about. He's not watched any of the things. He just read some, you know, tinfoil hat nutters take on why VAR. These people wanted VAR because they believed they would have won the league last year if they had it. <laughs> and now it's now it's here, and we're they're nine points clear, uh, nine points behind, and we are. We are just. We've had basically four of the five games. We've had really dodgy decisions go against us, and we won them anyway. So it's just, it's just, you know, very petty nonsense from a guy who doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Um, but he's it getting us chatting about it, which I guess is his point. You know, that's that's why he's there. He's just he's there to spout rubbish and get people's blood boiling. That's literally his purpose in life. I'm just surprised he hasn't blamed uh, Paul Pogba for all the issues with the VAR, to be honest with you. Um, but there you go. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, thank That's you. Really good. Uh, How long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I saw the headline, I'll be honest. <laughs> um, Colin, uh, I mean, we should just ignore it, but you know, even the, the idea of him talking about like getting ex-players and all that, it's just, it's just laughable. That's why I brought it up, just to get a good laugh. Yeah, I mean, I, I just sometimes you've I think it's important to interrogate your um, motivation sometimes. And it's like, am I looking at this like rationally or am I just uh, reacting because I have a, a bias in a certain way? And this is the kind of critical thinking that doesn't come into <laughs> Graeme Souness's mind whatsoever. No. <laughs> I mean, and maybe he, maybe he truly believes that like, I think like the, the thought process must be if far was working correctly, then Rangers would be on top of the league. Therefore, it must be Celtic must be getting all these decisions or whatever. I think it's just like, yeah, it's clickbait, but it's also I think it's clickbait generated by somebody that's bananas. <laughs> I, I do. I, uh, to to make it serious for a little bit for a second before we move on, I do think there is something kind of nefarious about the idea that guys like Graham Souness believe that Rangers should be top of the league no matter what. Like you know that sort of uh, proud British club kind of ethos. There is something like extremely right wing and something like inverted commas like British exceptionalism or you know all that stuff. And I, I do kind of it does it just does freak me out. Like this idea that if everything was fair and equal, then Rangers, no matter what situation they're in, would be top of the league. And I just, it just, it just freaks me out. It really does. It kind of it's, it's entitlement. It's that's yeah. it's what it boils down to. And it's in the same way that um, you know, like just the, every single commentator, like who was talking about, not a single Celtic player would make the sort of Rangers squad and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and it's just. Yeah, best left in the rearview mirror as we cruise ahead. <laughs> yes, that's why, that's why you're here, Colin. I see cool things like that. Uh, I, I, this isn't in the rundown, but I wanted to bring this up as well. Um, Scott Brown uh, had an interview uh, with the BBC, and um, there were some interesting quotes. Um, 
so he was talking about his, obviously he's at Fleetwood Town now. Um, I did have a couple of offers in Scotland, but I wanted a change of scenery and to put myself out of my comfort zone as well. It was a great opportunity. We had fantastic training ground. We've got a new stadium with a great pitch. We we're punching above our weight and it's a fantastic place to start. Don't get me wrong, I loved my time in the Goldfish Bowl. It was unbelievable. Playing for Celtic was probably the best time of my life. It was fantastic experience, but that time is gone and I have to focus on Fleetwood. I think you've got to put your own spin on being a manager. Um, Gordon signed me for Celtic and I speak to Gordon now. Water gave me my first cap and then Big Egg as well. The training sessions I always liked as a player, I would write down and say, one day I'll use that. You steal little bits from every manager. I speak to Neil. Oh, Jesus. I speak to Brendan. Uh, Brendan was brilliant for me, a big influence. Um, It's just, it's interesting he talked. Scott Brown is someone I think who was a little bit stained by the 10 season. But I think that stain has been washed off now. And maybe this is just me personally speaking. Um, Kieran, how do you feel about Scott Brown? Because, you know, obviously everything he's done at Celtic and we'll, we'll have a retrospective, of course. But, yeah, thoughts? I think, yeah, I I think very quickly, uh, uh, yeah, the stain of the 10 season I and his, you know, um, involvement with that, I think I forgave it fairly quickly. Maybe that is because I just want to pretend the 10 season never happened. <laughs> so it was the grimmest, uh, grimmest experience possible. Um, but I, I think I quickly just tried to reassess Brown's legacy at Celtic for what it was. And the 10 is a very, was a very, very grim you know, asterisk on that. But at the same time, this is a guy's won, what was it, like 24 trophies as captain or something? Yeah. Something insane, like genuinely incredible. Um, you know, a, a great, a brilliant player who evolved over his time t- twice. I think, you know, went from that rampaging wide midfielder into that, you know, box to box player into that defensive screen and all the while just completely changed his play style and just a very charismatic guy, a born winner. I think he's just, yeah, I think he's just a, really just a modern Celtic great. And I don't know, you can pass it any, anywhere else. I'm very curious about how he get he's getting on um, at Fleetwood because I know they're not they're not doing brilliantly in the table, but it's quite hard to I I don't know enough about the, the context of the club whether that's you know par for the course or par for expectations or whether there is a feeling of um, you know this is the start of a project under Brown that they're going to build on it and try and do something you know you know it's you're not going to see Fleetwood in the Championship or the, the Premier League anytime soon, so I'm quite curious about. I, I might, you know, do some background reading about how he's actually been um, enjoyed there. Whether the fans are liking him, uh, the club seems to be supporting him. But everything when I was when at the Athletic, everyone I ever spoke to was saying this guy has a future as a coach. Um, that he, he's brilliant with young with with young young men. You know, he's he was him and Frimpong got on really really well. He's so good at working with with guys in that sort of under seventeen range that B-team range, even younger, just to give them the support, but also critical feedback. He's a guy who's with, I think maybe, you know, there was a lot of like tabloid nonsense about how this guy was an idiot. He's a very smart man. He's a very intelligent guy, Um, especially he's got good emotional intelligence as well. So I'm very curious about, you know, what his level is. You know, he's got a lot of hype, but you can only see that when... In results and the performances of the team he's managing, 
So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm quite curious about how he gets on this season and beyond. Whether he can make the you know potentially make a step up the whether it is for a Premiership, a Scottish Premiership team, English Championship team, or even higher. I'm, yeah, I'm quite excited by his career. Yeah, I'm um, Colin. He sounds like the way the way he talks. He's always talked spoke really well um, and and as Kieran says that kind of character that he had on the football pitch was very I think purposely curated but outside of it he sounds smart he sounds intelligent and frankly he sounds like a guy who knows what he wants. Yeah and I think the interesting thing about that interview was there was a sort of uh, it was underpinned with a kind of not relief but like an enjoyment of being out of as he said, the goldfish bowl, that sort of ridiculous spotlight. And um, so he's able to concentrate on a new challenge without the baggage. Um, And uh, with regard to, yeah, I I think the 10, it would have hurt him as much as, as, you know, it would would have been brutal. So I've uh, long forgiven him for that. And also he did uh, some some sterling work in an Aberdeen shirt. So, (laughs) yes. um, Yeah, but I, 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 I really like him and uh, I just like the fact that, yeah, it's almost like the Scott Brown, the player for Celtic is a persona and now he's got his hair and he's he's like, surprise everybody, hair. hair. Uh, so he's got like, um, yeah, so he's moving into a new phase and, and definitely that kind of magpie approach to management and coaching, you know, just, you know, plucking certain bits from other people's styles is like, it's the intelligent way to do it. You know what works. Um, you've seen uh, you've seen what works and what doesn't work is, is uh, more importantly. And same with Kieran. I, I don't know much about the actual team, um, but you know he says they're punching above their weight, and I think that's a great way for, uh, to earn your stripes as a coach is to sort of be really up against good quality opposition and succeeding. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to see where he goes from here. Yeah, and and I think obviously like at Celtic he would have been under you know Gordon Strachan, uh, Brendan Rodgers, Neil Lennon. Um, he would have spoke to Ange Postecoglou probably. Um, Tony Mowbray when he was at Hibs, obviously at Celtic it didn't particularly work out. But like lots of kind of people to kind of really kind of pull pull off, take the best parts, and kind of create your own kind of legacy. I'm really excited to see what he could do. Um, he was asked what player that he's played with that he'd like to take on board. He said. I would say for standards and tempo and training, I would say Callum McGregor. I would take him or Jamesy Forrest all day long. If any of them want to come, then it's an option, lads, a year's loan. Um, but I tried to drive everything as much as I could when I knew I was coming to the end. But I was glad when I was leaving they offered Cal the captaincy because he drives training, he drives standards about the place and wants to be the best he possibly can be. Did I play with better players? Possibly. I played with Virgil and Victor Wanyama and stuff. But controlling a dressing room is hard. Interesting, really interesting points. Um, and, you know, we've all mentioned how impressed we are with, with Callum um, kind of stepping up. So great stuff. And hopefully we'll hear about, um, yeah, hope we'll, we'll, we'll maybe do a Scott Brown watch. Uh, bring that up maybe once in a while. Um, uh, just I just wanted to bring up the Moussa Dembele. Uh, he's been linked with a move to Turkey. He's out of contract in the summer and uh, he can leave in January. There's a 15% sell-on clause that Celtic have. Um, no disrespect to, to Turkey. I think it's there, there's plenty of great players playing there and stuff. But he's still only 26. I think Colin, he would probably be looking for a top five league. Um, he's obviously currently at Lyon and they brought in Lacazette that's just kind of not overshadowed him, but he's not playing as much. 
you would imagine that he would probably want to go back to England. Obviously, he was with Fulham, but it would be a top five league he'd be looking at, probably. Probably, but when you're in those situations, you, you want to play regular football. And uh, I think it seems to be, if it's the, it's the potential of being the second string in the top five leagues versus guaranteed starts. And I mean, Turkey, the Turkish league, um, it shouldn't be underestimated. And also they sh- their national side showed, like, you know, a bit of quality against our national side recently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think 26, he's, he's kind of coming into sort of the, the sort of peak years for that, uh, that type of player. So, uh, yeah, I would imagine he would want to go top five, but I, I wouldn't rule it out. And, um, I mean, Galatasaray's uh, got a, a good history, it's a, a well-known club. And just from a selfish point of view, uh, I think Fenerbahce are interested in Morelos. So I'd be quite interested to see Dembele bang in a hat-trick against them with uh, with uh, the Buffalo <laughs> Wheezing about <laughs> wheezing, God love him. Um, no, nah. uh, Kieran. Um, I mean, you know, he's still only 26, there's plenty of left, uh, um, gas in the tank and stuff. But you know, have you, you know, since he, the Leon move has and hasn't worked out for him really because it started off quite bright and um, there were some really high points. He's already had a loan to Atletico Madrid, it's maybe not worked out the way he would have wanted. No, it hasn't. You know, I think we were. I think everybody was imagining he'd be at Leon for two, maximum three years before going to a quote-unquote super club because yeah. he, he was that talented. You know, I, th- I think, I think in having um, you know our issues in the Champions League this season has maybe highlighted just how an elite player he was because he just handled the step up so casually, <laughs> especially in his first season. Like he was a Champions League striker. Um, and it's, it's just a weird one because he had that loan to Athletic Madrid and then that last season I remember the second half of last season he was scoring every week for Leon. it's just weird I think they brought back Lacazette and since then he's barely getting a, a game Yeah, I think he's just had these issues with managers I'm not even sure but if you look at his goals for 90 across his time at Leon, it's really really good I think it's pretty much close to what he was doing at Celtic but you know in a top 5 league it was very impressive I think it's just a weird one. I think some players just have bad luck. Like I think is one. Of, I don't think is a necessary reflection on his progress or his development that he's not fulfilled the the talent that we know he has. I think it's just one of those things where it's just not quite worked out for him. So I'm, you know, I think he'll go to Turkey and you know get two goals every three games. That kind of record, like he's got that talent. We've seen other other. Far, far less talented strikers go to Turkey and bang them in. So I'm, I'm quite confident he'll do that. It is just a shame. Well, from financially, from Celtic's perspective, even though I think it was only ten percent or something. Um, but and just from him, because you want to see him do well. You know, maybe it didn't. It was one of those things where at the end it didn't quite. It didn't end on good terms when he did leave Celtic. But I think it's, once you get over it, you do want to see players like him do well. And it's just, it is just. This just happens to some players' careers. They make a, they get bad luck with managers. The, the environment isn't right. But, you know, there's always, he is, as you say, he's still young at 26. He's got a good few years at his peak where he can 
show off how good a player he is and hopefully he does that. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, one of the big things about, you know, if he had got a move uh, to like a super elite club, we would have got the benefits of that, um, specific, specifically if it was for big money. But, you know, what are you going to do? Good luck, Musa. Come home. Musa, come home. Let's get involved. Um, Matt O'Reilly um, has mentioned and discussed um, uh, the agony of missing out on the World Cup spot with Denmark. Um, he talked about it and he said, I was really disappointed. I spoke with the manager and I think I was close. I think it was just a tiny bit too soon for me, but by the sound of it, he was saying that the, the lead up to the World Cup was quite a strange one. There weren't a lot of training sessions before, so to integrate me would have been a bit difficult. So I kind of understood Hopefully there's going to be more opportunities for me next year. If I keep my form and keep improving, hopefully I'll be involved. The fact I got so close in a relatively short period of time is a definite positive. I know it will sound weird, but the rest will do me good. I should be able to come back in a really good place. I've been lucky enough to stay fit so far this season. I've played a lot of football. Just coming back fresh, I think that will help me keep it kick on again. Um, this leads into a question from Kevin, uh, and it kind of plays around to this. And uh, We'll start with yourself, Colin. How important is it that Celtic are a gateway to international recognition for players? Um, obviously, Matt O'Reilly has had quite a kind of a journey, uh, making his debut for the under-21s, speaking to the, the Denmark manager and obviously what those quotes there. How important is it for, for Celtic to help players to get international recognition? There are, I think... International recognition is important to players individually and if they think a club can put them in the shop window and provide them with the development and the stage to get the attention of the international coach is a positive. Um, it kind of gilds the reputation of the club. You know, there's something about, you know, with the World Cup and you see the sort of our four players going there and their different flags and stuff. And it's just a, it's just a little bit of kind of that brand building, you know, if you want to be crass about it. Yeah. Um, but if we've got players that are, especially with our young squad and, and people like O'Reilly and Jota, um, who I think it's a good thing that they maybe didn't make the squads for us from a selfish point of view this time, but the fact they're so close means we're doing recruitment. Well, we're doing development. Well, um, it's a driver for those players going forward. And, um, you know, like, so he's looking to make the, tran Matt O'Reilly's looking to make the transition trans transition to the uh, Denmark squad, uh, full squad next year. Surely that's going to benefit us from a club level. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And, and Keenan, obviously someone like Carter Vickers, Cameron Carter Vickers, who, wasn't really close to the to the World Cup squad for the USA, and um, with how well he's played this season, as part of that World Cup squad, that's maybe it's little things like that that will maybe make make them think twice about having to move on. Yeah, I think so. And obviously, every national team's different. Every manager yeah. is making the choices. Some of them will be more uh, respectful and appreciative of what being a Celtic player and being a successful Celtic player means. Um, than than others, and that's just it's very you know context dependent. But at the same time, I think you, you're right in Carter Vickers, but also Jota. You know, I think like you, for all the talent Portugal has, and okay, it was like a fifty man shortlist or something. <laughs> it's, you know, he's he's hardly been picked as a as a starter. But I think those those are little encouragements to know that you can become a national team player at Celtic, regardless of how talented. The other team might be and you know I think it is it is good for attracting players and it's good for encouraging them to stay 
I think with O'Reilly, Denmark just have a really stacked midfield. He's just turned 22. He's not even played for the under-21s for a year. You know, it's, it's just one of those things. I think Denmark also, they are one of those national teams who also favour experience a lot of the time as well. You know, you look at the midfields, they've got some guys in their 30s there who've been, you know, they've got 60, 70, 80 caps. It's just one of those situations where it's going to take time. You know, I think maybe it's one of those things as well. Like maybe if O'Reilly had performed a bit better in the Champions League as well, you know, as a couple of, I think he was one of the players that I was let down by, including Hugo, Jota, Juranovic. I think it was like our 10, but well, we're going to come to our, um, Five aside shortly, so a little preview of that. But like our most technically accomplished players, he didn't quite do that. So I think maybe if you, the Danish guys will be watching it because it has been decent with under 21s. I was chatting with somebody who does what the Denmark 21s before I left my old job, and they were saying like it's been very impressive for them. But as we've seen with Eddie smashing in the goals for the French under 21s, that it was a massive step up yeah. in the national team. And I think we may be under. under value, how big a step up it is. But I think we'll get there. Like he's twenty two he just turned twenty two what today. <laughs> like happy birthday, Mal O'Reilly. <laughs> but um he's he's he'll get there eventually and I think he's got a guy who's very, very his head screwed on. We've talked about it to death. He's a very mature young man. He'll know that the only way he can get it at Celtic because it was really only when he moved to Celtic that he started getting attention with the under twenty ones. It'll come in time. Um, and I, I'm hopeful that next Euros or something he'll be in that squad and hopefully he'll still be a Celtic player uh, at that stage as well so yeah and I think it's it's just patience a lot of this time it just needs time I don't think it's a reflection of how Celtic or Scottish football is, is valued in this case I think you can make the case for maybe a few others but I think O'Reilly it'll just need time yeah yeah absolutely um, the Sydney Cup we have a question from Liam. Liam's question is, question for the panel. Uh, how much are you taking from the Aussie friendlies? I've seen quite the range of reactions from not taking anything due to the friendly nature all the way to thinking we need a new striker because of the chances missed in the Everton game. It was also interesting to hear some of your thoughts on the weekend update around Ange and his reaction to the first game. My main take is get Gigi away from penalties. Um, Celtic obviously uh, lost on penalties to Everton. Hatati uh, and Giacomacchus missing the penalties. Uh, Colin, how seriously have you been taken? How seriously should we be taking? What's your kind of thoughts on the, the Sydney Cup? Don't take it too seriously, folks. Uh, I think it's uh, the the positives outweigh the negatives. It's a little mini preseason. We saw a lot of the same kind of football that we saw in preseason before um, in summer. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, I feel sorry for a wee bit sorry for Ange and that that his team didn't go and score some goals. I mean, uh, I think he his slight simmering anger after the the first game i think he was annoyed that he wasn't showcasing his style of football um as much as he wanted to um the i didn't even know there was going to be penalties i actually i watched it i watched it on uh on on catch up in the morning yesterday morning and after i just flipped the laptop over and tara was like i think there's penalties and i was like don't be don't be that of course there's not um, and when Gigi I, I, and 
is we say this all the time and when it comes off we're like oh i was right but i was like he's gonna sky this over the bar yeah and he did but um i think the success of it was i think it was really good for celtic again getting back to this crass brand idea but i think it's i think this is something that it all kind of ties together with a you know, attracting players, having that kind of international presence. Uh, it's a wee mini preseason, and now they all go and have a wee holiday, and then they go back to sort of training. Um, but I'm most annoyed that we didn't win the famous Sydney Cup. Got Huge it. Disappointment. Got it. Uh, Keenan. <laughs> there has been a lot of that, like joking, and then it's like, uh, well, you know, calm down. Um, Keenan, <laughs> what's your thoughts on the the friendlies and how seriously we have been should be taking them? I couldn't care less. It's, it's, it's a little, it's a little break in the other side of the world. You, get, you know, they're probably still jet lagged. I think they weren't really trying the hardest. I think it was all, yeah. I think I, I honestly, I really don't care. I, I think it's maybe just this idea, this idea of, you know, there's a there's a culture of being online where everything has to be a crisis or it's class. Um, <laughs> it's just going all a bit over the place, but yeah, I, I, I really not that bothered. It's, it's frustrating, you know, where Angie's homecoming wasn't this big thumping success where we beat everyone six now a little bit, maybe. Um, but at the same time, I think the Aussie fans seem to enjoy it. You know, I, I mentioned last week I had a pal who went to the game on Thursday. He's a Sydney FC season ticket holder. He had a great time. Apparently, it's the best they played all year. It just seemed like a fun. It just seemed like a fun occasion. Like, I really, I get, like, I, get, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I've got like, a little like stress fatigue because it was such an intense first half of the season, and because the Champions League was so demoralising that I. I was kind of looking forward to this, like a few weeks break from just getting really emotionally invested twice a week in the outcome and the performance. So that were something that was basically, you know, <laughs> so it's probably just a, a gal's cat. It's just found its way across the, yep. the lens, which is quite, quite enjoyable. Got something to say about Sydney Cup. Yes, Darcy's <laughs> very, very invested in the Sydney Cup, uh, but she's away now, so it's fine. <laughs> Which is <laughs> like actually I disagree as the world's caving in. This is the end of Nigeria. We should move on swiftly, but we have a chance. <laughs> she's uh she's originally Romanian, so let's just hope that her favourite player isn't Haji. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, that's weird. Um just uh, yeah, I mean I think um the the fun thing about the Sydney Cup that I think it's been nice to see has been the fans and the support, the support getting the opportunity to kind of see Celtic we talk about how often we get the chance to see Celtic so it's good for the support uh, over there to get the opportunity to see Celtic in the flesh there's some I saw some nice stories on social media about people seeing Celtic for the first time and stuff so you know I, I don't think you know we can kind of look at it kind of roll our eyes a bit about these friendlies but the people who are living in the places that Celtic are going I think you know it's a bigger bigger deal to them than than maybe we realize sometimes so it's great for the support over there the support that travelled over there as well, crazy but fantastic. Uh, Ange mentioned about going to Japan, uh, the idea of it. Uh, he was asked about a potential Japanese tour. He replied, absolutely. I know how big a market that is as well. That's not me driving it. That's Michael Nicholson and Chris McKay and the commercial and management team. They understand it, but we have to buy into it as a football department. We have to acknowledge it helps us in the long run. 
Sure, it put some extra demands and it would have been easier to get the, give the boys the week, week off. This has been a, an important week for the football club. That's how big clubs operate and that's what we have to want to be. That's what we are. We just need to be disciplined about what we do and not get sidetracked by other things if we are going to be the club we know we can be. He always kind of makes it like very grandiose in regards to even just the smallest of, of things, Kieran, and uh, I do respect that. What's your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think I think it's important, um, you know, uh, not to do the agenda bingo, but um, <laughs> if we don't have a sporting director structure, it's important that the manager does lead on on everything, including on the commercial side of things, or at least being, you know, the public-facing voice of that side of things, because God knows the board don't do any <laughs> communication with fans or even with fans about what the commercial direction of, of the club is. And I think it's absolutely spawned that this is a massive opportunity, both in Australia and in Japan, to, to build a long-lasting foundation support base there. Um, you know, I think when they had Nakamura, it, there were a lot of, certainly, you know, I was when I was chatting to people who cover like Japanese football, they were saying the sheer number of Celtic kits in Japan during the Nakamura years was astonishing. But things have moved on since then. You know, Nakamura being yeah. a big European club, a Japanese player being a big European club, that was still something of a novelty, whereas it's a lot more widespread now, especially in Germany. So you you, you can't just rely on bringing in a player to, to expand that um, identity. You do need to be have all these different initiatives to build that your your support base in, in a different country. And I think, you know, we've, I covered the um, the Japanese Twitter account, all the, the, the Japanese store, going on the tour to Australia, going on a tour to Japan, just building up its gradual, incremental, you know, reaching out to these different communities, to these different cultures. And I think it's been very successful so far, but we need to continue building on that. You can't be complacent. And, you know, people might say, well, who gives a shit? It's not about the team on the park. <laughs> you know, we, we don't we don't um, sit up and, and cheer when the commercial report comes out. Um, that's because we have to wait 10 seconds for it far to confirm it. Am I right? Yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, Kieran. <laughs> How long I, 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 I regret that immediately. <laughs> Um, but I think is I think the way to do it is that if we want to be a, a, like a well-run operation, when that commercial side of things needs to be taken into account as well, and nobody's going to, nobody else is going to do it. So it's good that I'm just talking about it, and it's all about you know all feeding into each other. If you have, if you have more money from like commerce, the commercial side of things, in theory, hopefully that means you have more money to invest in infrastructure into the first team into the women's team into the B team and the, the academy as well um, whether you know that's all very theoretical and it very really pans out like that but I think it's it's good that he's talking about it. and it's also it's something we talked about with his transfer business as well that he is being very vocal about we're going to be busy in January we need to upgrade a few positions some players might leave just setting the stall out yeah you know that is to hold you know it's it's good for fans to hear that because it's encouraging when we like a manager to stand his ground, but it's also holding the, the club to account as well. Because if your manager, your beloved manager, your fan favourite manager is out saying this, you don't de- deliver on it. When you are capable of delivering on it, then 
fans are going to be asking why, because the man just talked about it. So why isn't the club delivering on it? You know, that's why the transfer business is also the case with commercial side of things as well. So yeah, very encouraging. Absolutely. Um, let's go to uh, Lewis Laird. There was some uh, Celtic B action, and uh, with the court report. <laughs> The first team competitive domestic action may have come to a halt last week. However, Celtic B will be continuing their fixture schedule right through the World Cup last Tuesday evening. The Hoops faced another tough test as they took on Scottish League 1 leaders Dunfermline Athletic in the SPFL Trust Trophy. Going into the game, Darrow Day and Seamit Maris were expected to be missing several regular names with the duo Boston Lowell and Rocco Vata heading to Australia with Antipas Chicago's side. Infielder Scott Robertson was also eligible for this competition, but joined the boys down under whilst Ben Summers missed out through injury. Alongside the absentees due to injury and first team duties, the young side was also be without the fullback pairs Ben McPherson and Matthew Anderson, who are joined by Kenzie Cars on Scotland under 19 duties this week. So several changes were made to the starting lineup, which included a young trio of Daniel Kelly, Corey Thompson and Sinel Sosa, who matched up well to the Pars midfield during the game. There was also a return for striker Johnny Kenny, who is currently spending the campaign with Scottish Championship Queen's Park on loan, but was eligible for this one with the Celtic B side. It was bound to be a tough evening for the hoops against James McPake's side and it didn't exactly get off to the best of starts. After just two minutes, the home side opened the scoring thanks to a front post header from Taylor Sutherland who got across his man and headed past Toby Oluwayemi. Shortly after, the boys found themselves fall two goals behind as former Inverness and Nelson attacker Nikolai Todorov got on the score sheet. The Bulgarian was able to take a nice touch on his chest inside the penalty area before striking the ball first time. His effort came off the post before unfortunately striking the back after stretching Oluwayemi and going into the back of the net. Despite finding themselves two goals down, Celtic settled into the match with a 16-year-old midfielder Daniel Kelly beginning to have more influence from the base of midfield. Before the half-time break, the boys were even able to half the deficit thanks to a lovely finish from the returning Johnny Kenny. The Irishman made a well-timed run between the centre-back and left-back, being found with a perfectly weighted pass by Dylan Clark. Kenny stayed composed despite pressure and dinking the ball into the far corner of the net. Into the second half, both teams had chances. Although Emmy made a number of good saves to keep the score at 2-1, but Celtic were also unfortunate not to find the back of the net with the Sosa effort being cleared off the line. With a place in the next round of competition against our both up for grabs, the young side continued to battle away. But ultimately, it wasn't to be, and the Pars came away victorious with a 2-1 win. Having finished the game with 10 men due to injury to Dylan Gore, and Kelly also suffering a last injury in the second half, it was certainly an effort that the Celtic can be proud of. After a weekend off, due to Lone League sides being in cup action last weekend, the boys returned to the league fixture schedule on Saturday. Celtic will be back at the Celsius Stadium as they take on Caledonian Braves for the first of four home fixtures in a row across the next two weeks. Great stuff from Lewis. As always, the Colt Report uh, on the agenda on a weekly basis. You can check him out on Twitter, um, LewisLaird01 on Twitter, uh, which still seems to be here, even though it seems to be getting... Slightly grimmer, but uh, we can. I'm sure we'll cover that at some point over the week. Um, question from Alan. Alan Reed. This is for our good friend uh, Colin. The question is, with COP27 27 seeing the end of the 1.5C uh, global warming target, was the trip to Australia a responsible use of carbon by the club? Um, obviously... Football clubs are, you know, they get quite a big kind of carbon footprint and such. Um, you look at stuff like Forest Green Rovers, and they've got a, a pledge to uh, you to be carbon neutral. Is that something Celtic 
should genuinely be looking to do? Should Celtic be looking to become carbon neutral? Should we be looking to kind of reduce our carbon footprint overall? Is that possible? We talked about that trip to Japan. What's your kind of thoughts on it, Colin? And I have kind of thrown this on you. This is something we can talk about a little bit more moving forward. But what's your kind of initial thoughts, Colin? Uh, My initial thoughts are that these problems are so endemic and baked in that it needs a serious political global response to it. I think a lot of people have used um, going carbon neutral or carbon negative as a purely marketing tool. Uh, I'm not going to name any names, but um, certain beer manufacturer uh, from Scotland yeah. has made a lot of uh, uh, a lot of welly out of the fact that they're trying to be... And it's... Uh, if you read a little bit deeper, it's uh, it's just a quagmire. Um, COP26 was seen as the last real chance and there was a lot of talk and then we didn't see a lot of action and we're on to COP27 and we're basically saying it's too late. Um, so I'm very much like, I feel that a lot of responsibility was put on the individual uh, through the last sort of couple of decades, you know, like you got to recycle, you've got to, and people were, did that and took to it and thought they were making a difference and then realized that it wasn't making a difference. And it was basically the biggest corporations in the world that were just profiteering. And uh, I think it's responsible to acknowledge it, but I don't see a net gain in Celtic, like basically trying to buck the, the international football system and not travel worldwide uh, just to make a sort of point that's just going to be drowned out by every other bit of greenwashing uh, that goes on in corporate business. Uh, I'm kind of rambling, but I, I just I get so incensed uh, about the kind of the real lack of attention for the people that have got the real power. Yeah, and um, yeah. Uh, I, I I certainly think that, that they should be doing things, but I think realistically, making a a, a song and dance about oh, the, it's really irresponsible for a club to fly out to Australia. I mean, I'm flying out to Australia in, in February to visit family, and um, like the amount of air travel. Like I was on a flight recently, and it was weird being on a flight after lockdown after such a long period of time, and we had a really uh, we were going to Lanzarote just um, for our first holiday in years. And we had a really chatty captain and he was giving you all this. It was like, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're now, and just loads of information. And he was saying that we started off with 12 tonnes of aviation fuel and we've burned nine tonnes of aviation fuel. And that was just like, that's one flight, one commercial flight to Lanzarote. This, you know, that like it's, the problem is so huge that Celtic saying we're going to go green isn't going to help anything. Interesting. Good points, Colin. Kieran, what's your thoughts? Yeah, yeah I'm quite, quite similar to Colin, to be honest. <laughs> like, when you look at what uh, the oil and gas companies and all the, the major fossil fuel um, candidates are, like, I do think Celtic can be better. I think they can do a lot of better local initiatives that they, you know, whether that is part of the um, you know the charity wing of the club, or whether it's something they do just as a as a you know they get a consultant in, and just there's every business can be more green efficient. 
Um, and that's something they could do, something they could build around the ground to have you know, more recycling bins, etc. There are ways to do it. And I think you're right, there has to be an awareness. Was this, was this really necessary? Um, if, you're, if, if you're Ange talking about the commercial side of things, you could argue yes. <laughs> you know, it's, and I think it's, it's a bit murky because you do want to go out and to Australia and have fans watch your team. You know, there are loads of Aussie Aussie fans in Australia who had never seen Celtic before. Um, you're, you're building the commercial side, you're building the support side, but in the grand scheme of things, it you know it's people you know as adding to was you know building momentum to a disaster that's going to come sooner rather than later. But as we call, it, I think I'm a bit fatalistic about it because. We're just we're getting worse and worse when we should be improving, and it's going to. I think as the um, the the cl- loads of climate uh, policy groups have said, it, it's too late now. <laughs> like we are, the, the only thing we can do is slow it down or make it not as bad as it, as it's going to be. But it is like climate. The climate is irreversibly damaged forever. Yeah. Um, so as I just feel, yeah, quite similar. We could be doing better, but I just feel like uh, the Celtics club could be doing better, but it is not even a drop in the ocean um, compared to all the other companies that are getting it off scot free everywhere. Yeah, I think you know I, I read a, a, a watched we watched a documentary and it was basically essentially what it said was if the kind of top five, the top five biggest polluters, if they stopped and they're all kind of corporate kind of like oil and gas and and stuff, if they stopped, then the change would be drastic in in terms of like slowing it down and all that. But they're not going to stop. Anyway, this is is depressing as fuck. Great question, Alan, but, and well answered, guys, but (laughs) let's uh, let's move on to something more cheery. The World Cup. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, obviously um the air-conditioned world cup yes uh with everything that's uh, you know we've discussed the kind of everything regarding all the stuff around the world cup so we're just going to have a quick chat on the actual football itself what did you make of the opening game colin oh uh turgid as expected um i i mean the the var decision in the first five minutes of the game I've since seen a lot of people saying well now that we know what I'm still a wee bit confused um, about that particular offside rule but again it's quite funny when we talk about uh, smaller clubs in Scotland not having screens uh, and be able to articulate what's happening in the decision process but then you see in this ridiculous mega stadium with unbelievable screens and technology (laughs) and all you get is a little um, bar line diagram with no explanation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was bananas. And uh, yeah, I, I just, I can't, I, I watched it on a, on a, a legal stream uh, because that's, 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 that's my way of solving my conscience. Um, uh, but I just, I mean, it's not, the, it's not the sexiest of opening ties, let's face it. But, uh, I just don't have high hopes for this uh, this World Cup in general, and um, 
Yeah. And I thought it was like, I thought it might be fun to see Qatar uh, get absolutely pummeled. Uh, and it looked like it might have been that. But then it just turned out 2 0. And I was just like, yeah, this is, this is, I, I watched the second half pretty much on my phone. Yeah. Like uh, half watching the game. Yeah, me too. Caden, uh, how did you find it? Oh, it was rubbish. I thought it was absolute rubbish. And I thought it was very appropriate that it was absolute rubbish because it's a shambles of a tournament. Though I have, I have get, I'm getting some Schadenfreude from. Uh, Qatar just like the last few days going, yeah, we're evil. We don't care anymore. We're not going to apologise for being evil. All the Western apologists are getting their pants pulled down because we're just being, we're just not pretending to be anything other than evil anymore. <laughs> it's just, and then all these, all these idiots who've come out, you know, to defend them and say, oh, it's their culture or they'll be, they're, you know, they're trying to improve and everything. They've just been shown like the complete charlatans they are. I think that's the only thing, any sort of enjoyment I've got out of it. You know, I thought um, Valencia's second header was a good header. That was probably the only thing I enjoyed about yesterday because the the standard was just so poor. Oh. Like it, it was like a fucking Scot like Scottish Premiership game. <laughs> like like this this was not the advert for the best of the best that the World Cup is traditionally held up as. You know, maybe some of the games today might be of a better standard, but at the same time, players are fucking knackered like a lot of these players in, in playing in European countries have gone out you know they just had three months of playing two games relentlessly and they've had a week's break I, I just I just think they'll be too shattered to produce a good quality of football you know I've seen other people go around and say the other way it's like oh you know they are mid-season so they're up to speed they're match fit I don't know I just think they'll be that's fine if you're playing one game a week two games a week once every three days it just breaks your body yeah I, I just I I I think it's going to be dreadful and I'm going to get a lot of satisfaction <laughs> from FIFA and everyone else who supported it just so they get a, you know, they can buy a third yacht or an island in the Maldives or something. I hope they look like the embarrassing tricks that they are. And that maybe, it could be very hopelessly naive, but maybe this being a complete and utter disaster might be the catalyst for some change, but I do think that is wildly optimistic. Yeah, um, good points. Uh, FIFA released a statement about wearing the One Love armband um, and basically said if you wear it, you could be booked or sent off or all this weird shit. And uh, it's just horrendous. FIFA are... Yeah, as Kieran says, they should be completely held to account for everything because it's absolutely horrific. Uh, games are coming up. England are playing Iran at 1pm. Uh, Senegal, Netherlands, and then USA versus Wales. USA versus Wales obviously has our good friend uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers potentially involved some at some point, but, you know, uh, and it also has our good friend Aaron Ramsey uh, <laughs> involved for Wales. Uh, we'll probably, we'll update you on what's happening at the World Cup throughout um, because obviously it's a huge part, but everyone knows our thoughts and I'm sure you all share them. Um, yeah, good. Well, points well made, Kieran. Uh, we're going to finish on a feature, a fun feature. I want both your teams. Uh, a Celtic five-a-side side. A fel- Celtic five-a-side team. Sorry. Uh, Colin played some fives yesterday. What makes a good five-a-side player slash team, Colin? I, I think you need a mixture of shithousery, <laughs> close control, and um, 
actually being able to run for more than five minutes without <laughs> blowing out your arse, which uh, I failed miserably at. <laughs> Kieran, what about you? What do you think makes a good fives player team? Yeah, I think close count is really, that's really where the, the technically decent players uh, come to shine, which is why I'm dreadful at fives <laughs> and I'm quite a bit better at sevens because I'm technically hopeless, but my my one good quality is positioning. Um, um, so it's a bit better in, in sevens where, you know, you you have time for two or three touches <laughs> rather than the one touch where yeah. my first one just gives the ball away. Um, so I think close control and speed of thought as well is a big one. Um, just like being able to make quick decisions and moving the ball on quickly, I think. So imagine, yeah, I'm quite curious about how different people's fives teams will be for from the Celtic team. Yeah, well, let's let's get yours. Colin, what's your team? Okay, so I am going to go with no goalkeeper because everybody has a wee going goals, <laughs> right? So you're hardly going to bring in <laughs> Joe Hart who can barely kick a ball. So I've gone for Matt O'Reilly because he's a clean tackler because you don't want to be like... It's just fives, guys, and everybody needs to relax and not go in for crippling challenges. And the ball kind of sticks to him in that kind of rogic manner. So Love I like it. that close control. Uh, I'm going to say Idiguchi, uh because what? it's the only, cha- <laughs> Hold on the only chance. It's the only chance we'll get to see him play. Let's face it. Um, <laughs> and you know, I just, 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 I just want to see him play. He's in goals. Uh, he's he, he's he got. Always looked, he always looked tidy. You know what I mean. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to go for uh, Dyson Maeda okay. uh, for mind-boggling pace, and he's not a, a huge ballooner of the ball. Uh, he can, uh, he's he's his first touch is something's a bit questionable, but he seems to be able to sort of like keep the ball at the right level. And obviously, the goals are a bit smaller and stuff. Maeda, so. Maeda, off the boards, off the boards, Maeda. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he'd be able to like batter off the boards in his half and then just pick it up in the second half you know what I mean very good um, Greg Taylor because I think he is a, probably no stranger to playing on a drizzly Tuesday night uh, fives I can I can see him and I think he would have a little bit of needle a little bit of chat keep the keep the, ch- the talk going on the pitch <laughs> and finally uh, Hux Sabanovic oh, because yes. he's just got that like he, you, you, nobody's going to be able to get the ball off him. He's just going to like keep it and keep it and keep it and batter it in for a spectacular goal. I like that. Yeah. that you know, Matt O'Reilly, Adeguchi, Maida, Taylor, Haksabanovic, and everyone takes a turn in goals. Excellent, Kieran. What have you got? Uh, yeah, likewise. No, no keepers. <laughs> <laughs> keepers staying as far away. They're sticking to eleven aside. Not even. They're not even doing seven. Um, yeah, so I think I go Taylor as well. Same reason, very technically decent. Also, I think EB's, I think he's someone that, you know how you have somebody sitting back at fives. His reading of the game, though his anticipation is perfect, has been the guy who just sweeps up everything. Absolutely. Um, so he'd definitely be there. I think O'Reilly as well, because as, as, as Colin says, he does have that, that clean tackle in him, but he's also just technically brilliant, really good on the turn, really good at one-touch stuff. I'd have Hatate. I think Hatate is the most fives player we have. I think he's perfect for it because of his close control. He's technically brilliant. But he's got a bit of needle in his game as well that you quite like. Um, because every, I think everybody, if you're a good fives player, you need to be a little bit snide. Oh, you need to be a tiny bit snide. Um, and then I probably would have Jota. I think the Jota's, I know it's a boring one. <laughs> I know Jota's the, one of the boring answers because he is our technically best player. But can you imagine just like, 
how much he'd make a mug of the opposition team, like constantly. He did have like you wouldn't record his goals, he'd just record the number of nutmegs he's doing every <laughs> every game. Um and he'd just be like taking it back around players, just being that one eventually, you know, the the big guy in another team just two foots him and then a fight kicks off, that kind of thing. Love it. Um he'd act Jota would act all innocent as if he just had humiliated the guy for forty five minutes. And then Lastly, I was I was I was going to say Kyogo, but I think I I hadn't I hadn't hit me Axabanovich, but Axabanovich is perfect for it. I think because as you say, like he he's got great close control. He he is quite like a decent finisher, placing his shots, but he he also has the snidey thing. Like he is a very oh, you can just imagine him like taking the piss out of someone, and then someone goes in for a big tackle, like someone the big guy two foots Jota, Axabanovich comes over, gives him a push. And then the next time, rather than pissing about, just skins the entire team and then smacks it in, and then just like you know, turns on the guy and gives and glares at him. That's why, just like just to say, yeah, put you in your place, prick. Um, yeah. <laughs> Haxa so, Bamopovich. <laughs> uh, that's Haxa Bamopovich. Um, I, I'll, I'm gonna read. They're they're both very fives teams. I can't believe none of you have, none of you have picking Gigi just to stand up front and just toe bash the ball in every time it comes to him but here are some of the teams um that some of our listeners uh dave uh dave gallagher uh heart and goals ccv rio calmac and Kyo uh, kyogo the team picks itself strong defensively legs in midfield and energy up front um this is from james james goes heart ccv calmac jota jackamacus very good um who've we got now uh, kevin mcgoldrick goes Hart, CCV, Calmac, Hatati, and Jota. Um, great stuff. Uh, Bane, ta- this is from uh, Alan. Uh, Bane, Taylor, O'Reilly, Jota, and Maida. I think Bane is pish at 11 aside, <laughs> but I have a feeling <laughs> he might be quite handy at fives. Um, O'Reilly and Go, this is from uh, Alistair. O'Reilly and Go for his handling ability and playing out from the back. Very good. Uh, Taylor covering all defensive positions. Hitate covering all midfield positions with ease. Maeda just playing wherever he wants. And Gigi banging in the goals, but not allowed to take penalties. Um, and uh, finally, Paddy, uh, Hart, CCV, Jota, Maeda, Gigi. Lots of skill and hard work. Thanks to everyone who sent in uh, a team. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Um, just lots of Hearts, lots of Taylors, lots of Hitates. McGregor's Haksabanovich. Um what we'll do is we'll put, we'll, I'll take everyone's kind of, uh, everyone who's messaged in, I'll take the kind of, the team that is most representative and uh, I'll put it out on Twitter and then uh, we can have a good uh, chat and laugh about it. But um, this has been fantastic, Colin. I just wanted to say that I, I think Jota's over-representation, everybody's forgetting his uh, five-a-sides contribution in New, his New York trip. Oh, they barely won. They had, uh, you know, come on. Very and he would just he would just run into the walls because he'd be doing so many step-overs. So, nah, <laughs> Jota's never going to make my team. <laughs> Throwing his hand up like he's in a uh, in some sort of uh, um, Italian fight. I don't know. I don't know why I said Italian there. Um, anyway, this has been uh, fantastic. Uh, the agenda, as always, coming to you on a Monday. Uh, plenty of stuff coming up this week that should be fantastic. Um, but Kieran... Devlin, as always, pleasure, sir. Pleasure, all mine, Chris. Loved it. Colin Kearney, superb. Two in a row. Here we go. Great stuff. Thanks for having me again. Nice to see you. 
lovely stuff. Um, as I say, we'll put some of the, the teams out on, on Twitter and we can have a bit of a chat about it and stuff. Um, but this has been fantastic. Uh, from Kieran Devlin, from Colin Kearney, from myself, Chris Gallagher, this has been The Agenda, and we'll speak to you down the road. 